When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers, and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. 
Jason Gay is the author of I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me, Modern Blunders, and Modest Triumphs, But Mostly Blunders. Jason is the sports and humor columnist at the Wall Street Journal and is very aware of how hilarious that sounds. He was named Sports Columnist of the Year by the Society of Professional Journalists in 2010, 2016, and 2019. And his first book, the New York Times bestseller, Little Victories, was a finalist for the Thurber Prize in American Humor. He lives in Baltimore, Maryland with his family, surrounded by way too many in-laws. This is the second time Jason has been on this podcast, and you will hear Kyle, my husband Kyle, and me just fawning over him because we love, love, love the way he writes. And by the way, there was a huge excerpt of Jason's fishing essay from this book in the Wall Street Journal the weekend of October 29th. So if you want to search that up, go ahead. Hi there. Oh, gosh. Hey. oh my gosh. Turned up the volume way too loud. How are you? <laughs> I'm just great. Thanks. How are you today? And I brought Kyle. Hope you don't mind. I appreciate that. Major. Thank you for your kind words. Oh my gosh. Major fans. fans. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it on her on her calendar that uh, she was interviewing you today, and I was like, I need to jump in and and uh, he's like, tell him, tell him I'm a fan. I was like, why don't you just sit here? So yeah. <laughs> appreciate that, Kyle. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of all this pickleball stuff? That's a great question. I think it's really interesting that a lot of guys like Noah Rubin, for instance, has yeah. just you know decided yeah. to make a switch over. Yeah full-time and feels like he's found his home, you know, being a, a former tennis player myself, who's not gifted with the gift of height. I totally hear what he's saying. <laughs> it really takes height out of it. But then again, I recently saw an interview with Sam Query, who yeah. suggesting that he would probably be the best pickleball player in the world if he decided to pick up a paddle, given his height and his, you know, obviously knowledge and, and skill of tennis. So, you know, saying that he hasn't seen someone in the top 50 of tennis get into pickleball yet. Yeah. I think it has a long way to go. I think we're at the really beginning stages. I, you know, saw LeBron just bought a team. The thing that I was wondering about, you know, just from a business standpoint is that like pickleball has this really cool thing for a sport right now, which is has this like genuine, like organic excitement, right? Like people are playing it. You go to like, you know, almost any community now, and there's a little bit of a pickleball scene happening. And like, almost like you haven't seen that in tennis since the seventies, really just sort of like your neighbors are playing pickleball and it has this advantage. Of course, you don't have to run as much. You can learn it in the afternoon. I get why people are excited about it. And I almost worry that if they sort of over-professionalize it and they sort of focus too much on the celebrity aspect of it, they're going to sort of like squash the thing that is really great. Because the other part of it, Kyle, that I'm curious about is like, are people going to want to watch it? I like to play it, but do I want to watch two hours of people playing pickleball? Is it that appealing? I don't know. You know, I I mean... I mean, I feel like I would watch it if there was a match right now between like Sam Query and Noah Rubin, for instance. I would watch that. I am not, it plays often actually nowadays on tennis channel, which I find interesting. And no, I don't really watch it. I mainly because I don't like the way it sounds. (laughs) You know what? There's a billion dollar business out there for someone who invents the first silent pickleball racket. You know, they're working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, you know, wiffle ball sort of sound. I just absolutely love love, love the sound of a, of a tennis ball and a tennis yeah. racket. So for it's me, much that, more aesthetically that. appealing, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I endorse anything that gets people moving. Right. So that's great, but it is a funny scene for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I would love to, to try it out. We should we should do it someday. It's like it's almost like everybody started playing Kadima. Do you remember Kadima? Yeah, sure. Like everyone's like, oh, do you play Kadima? It's like we yeah. can just like, do it on the beach. Yeah. Too. Like now it's like becoming it's so yeah official. Yeah. Well, Zibby, thanks for coming on, Kyle, and my uh, pickleball podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is great. Thank you. My job here is easy. Uh, this is great. I'm going to include all this so that everybody can, so. can hear I mean, about pickle. <laughs> there's a lot of pickleball fans out there. They want to know the scoop. There are. Okay. So you two will be on top of the prototype for the new racket. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see what you two come up with. Well, we loved, loved, loved your new book. We loved your last book, Little Victories. We love this one. We love all your columns. It's the only thing I routinely still read out loud to Kyle. Whenever we're like driving the kids to school and you have a column, I'm like, oh, new Jason Gay column. We I don't just, know. We're just such yeah. friends. I feel like so lame even saying that to you. But I mean, we, we just, just love uh, your sense of humor. We just drove down to San Diego this weekend yeah. for a writer's festival that Zibby was speaking at and caught in traffic for like three hours and she read almost your entire book yeah. out loud. That's all and we did. And I almost got in like six different accidents because I was crying, laughing so hard. I couldn't even see. I'll have you it know, at the, at the beginning of the drive, I was like, Kyle, I should just record this. I'm basically recording his audiobook for him. <laughs> and I was like, you do not want, he does not want you to record his audiobook. Yeah, so we didn't, we didn't record it. San Diego, I should have, right? I should have. That makes me so happy. I mean, I'm sorry you were in miserable traffic, but you know, if, if, if that word gets out that like, you know, you can survive the 405 to San Diego or what is it? The 10, what is it? We were not even we, on, we were, don't we, even we, ask what, what we took. <laughs> we went on the shortest route according to the maps which was like we ended up on hundreds of miles out of the way don't you i don't know we were in the desert that, that drive is crazy right because it's either like fine or the worst day of your life it was the <laughs> worst day it was it was almost four hours and i was like this is crazy but it was so it was well, such a treat to to listen and laugh oh my god i mean you're just obviously such a genius and it's so <laughs> So beautiful that you you share it with with the world. So thank well, you. you're very kind to say so. I appreciate that. And you know, Zibby has been here since day one as a supporter, <laughs> advocate, and I've just been blown away by what she's grown. So I'm very grateful for the kind uh, work. Thanks. There were a couple of passages I was hoping I could read, even just like short little sections, if that's yeah. okay. That, yeah. um, I'm not reading the one about. I'm not going to read the one that made us laugh the most because okay. I want people to go get the book because they. Oh, will great. Listen. Okay. Okay, that was the the texting chapter. Oh uh, yes, okay, sure. Oh my gosh! I, oh is, my god! <laughs> I don't want to give it away. That was. I know, it was so I, funny. It was weird thinking. So I, I can't even hours, read it out loud. Hours later, <laughs> but let's see. You, would, I mean, in your book, you cover really everything that people of a certain age, like we're all thinking about. Basically, parenting, aging, what time you wake up, recreational sports like golf, and I mean, watching sports, all like everything that you're, and then like the very poignant things about your mom and the cat and then the cat escaping. Oh my gosh. It was just, anyway. So here are a couple of things that, that I, that really resonated. One is watching your parents get older and trying to deal with the empty nest ish to come perhaps. And you had this one passage where you talked about your mom, Baxter is the cat that you gave her. And you said, we talk about when Baxter should come home, but we don't really make a plan. In the summer, we quote, borrow him back for a couple weeks on vacation. At first it goes, well, we're staying at a house with trees and he can run around outside and chase moths. But then a neighboring dog starts stalking him. So he retreats under another bed. When we return him to my mother's on the drive home, he looks relieved as we pull out of the driveway. I swear I have the two of them have this conversation. 
How was it? My mother asks. Don't ask. I need a drink. Baxter says, doers, you know me. (laughs) She missed him. My mother is not exactly an open book in terms of revealing her own emotions, but she confesses she's grown to need Baxter more than she ever expected. My father has been dead for six years, and until Baxter showed up, it was just my mom and the hum of the coffee maker, which is not enough, especially now. I like to whine about my overcrowded apartment and the calamity of young children and how much I want to live on a desert and deserted island, but I know how much it fills me up. It's noise. It's life. So- uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the backstory of this, of course, is that, you know, my mother adopted our cat during COVID. Uh, we, we moved out of town to a house where we couldn't stay with a cat because the homeowner <laughs> was allergic. So my mother stepped in and adopted this cat and, and fell in love. And really it's a love story of this. I, you know, what, what I should emphasize is that this is not an entirely book about a cat. Uh, it's, there's, no, no, it's an essay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of stories in there that sort yeah. of like, you know, form a little bit of a, uh, hopefully a little bit of a backbone of the book about just this pet and like getting through COVID and what it meant for my relationship with my mother. But, you know, it really was this way to talk about, you know, childhood and parenting and relationships. And I think that, you know, one thing that was a very interesting experience about doing this book was that originally the idea was effectively writing a humor book about COVID, you know, probably the most unfunny thing that's happened in our lifetimes. And a very severe thing that caused an enormous amount of, you know, heartbreak and and death and destruction. And yet, you know, we did learn a lot about our interior lives uh, and our communities and what were important to us. And people sort of have, you know, rebuilt their value systems and priorities in the wake of this. And I just felt that, like, since we all went through it, there's some fertile ground there to, to, to go at. And you know, my experience is my experience. I certainly wouldn't claim that it's universal, but I think there are some universal aspects of this experience, you know, in terms of our relationships with our children, parents, families, friends, communities, neighborhoods, and so on. Um, I think there a great shift has occurred. And, you know, in any kind of, you know, social cultural revolution, there's always some humor to be found. And, and that's what I was trying to get at. This mess, I made this sound way too highbrow. I'm just trying to make you laugh in a traffic jam. I mean, come on. <laughs> he definitely made us laugh in a traffic jam. I mean, it wasn't the first time. <laughs> All your books, to be, I don't know, find, it, no. they, they find their way into our lives in a, in a sense that she's reading them to me while we're driving. And it is really memorable. Well, I appreciate that. You know, honestly. No more, no more I'm, praise. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no more I'm, praise. I'm, no, I'm I'm trying to like, you know, write books that you can kind of pick up at any point, you know, that's not, you know, they're, they're individual stories and essays. And like, I like reading books out of sequence, even books that are supposed to be read in sequence, I read out of sequence. I don't know what that means, but I feel strongly that, you know, there is a place for humor in our very severe times. And in some ways, I'm trying to do kind of a throwback thing, which is to an era when, you know, whether it was you know, people like Irma Bombeck or Dave Barry or Louis yeah. Grizzard or uh, Molly Ivins or, you know, later Nora Ephron, you know, who, you know, they were contemporary humorists who found, you know, joy and humor in almost anything. And, and I, you know, in my little humble way, trying to, to steal a little bit of that. I love that. 
almost and Seinfeld too. You know, there's the yeah, sure because it's, it's the humor in the every in the humor in the everyday course. moments. Of course, what's uh, the deal with exactly? Yeah. It's sort of like the founding principle of every joke is what's the deal with X. Yeah. <laughs> you also had this funny section about reading. Can I read you? Can I just read these two paragraphs too? You, you're talking the, the context of this one is the fact that we have no attention spans for anything in life at all, and then you say why bother focusing if no one's demanding it? It's only a matter of time before Broadway shows turn on the lights at the final curtain. Why waste three minutes clapping? Musicians will be asked to stop guitar noodling and get straight to the chorus, the song parts we like most. One day there will be a fast forward option for me to press when Jesse or Jojo starts talking about the day at school. I don't care what happened in math. Just get to the dead pigeon you found at recess. Think of skip intro deployed at Thanksgiving dinner. Your Uncle Phil's Canadian camping adventure doesn't stand a chance. We are slicing away the tedium, but at what cost? How long are people going to read books? Do people still read books? Asking someone to read a book these days feels like asking them to join you on a sail from Maine to Portugal. <laughs> a whole book? Publishers deploy edgy moves to grab readers, the most recent of which is putting curse words in titles as a way of shocking a consumer into attention and purchase. Look at any bestseller list, and six of the top ten books will contain an unnecessarily unnecessary expletive and an exclamation point. To be sure, there was brief talk about naming this book, Hey Asshole. <laughs> but come on, I can't publish a book with that kind of crude title. At least not while my father-in-law can still be me in a fight. <laughs> oh, so funny. But I, I, it's, it's, it's humor, but of course there's truth in every joke, as Kyle often points out when I make mean jokes. <laughs> but what do you make of this whole attention phenomenon? I mean, I and by the way, I've watched every intro since even... Every time it's that skip intro, I'm, like, I'm watching the intro now. I'm watching the intro. Good for you. I mean, I've definitely gotten to the skipping part. I mean, listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody else of sort of falling into this atrophying attention span world that we live in. You know, I am frightened by how, you know, quickly I can shift to like watching short videos and TikToks and, you know, things on Instagram and just like sort of amuse myself that way and feel less and less inclined to invest in something that requires the full span of my attention. And especially when you sort of consider the, you know, biochemical element of it, the neurological component aspect of this, that like, you know, uh, publishers are capitalizing on, it's frightening. It's frightening for anybody who has a job, mine included, that requires people to focus for in the newspaper column, you know, 90 seconds to three minutes or in a book, you know, longer than that. And yet it's really funny. You know, it is funny that people have just kind of gotten to this point that we are just sort of taking out any of the tedium. I mean, there's that old uh, book, you know, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And I feel like we've really officially arrived there now because we are kind of striking out anything that is just sort of unnecessarily, you know, explanatory or slow, you know, anybody who's had the experience of going and listening or rather watching a movie from, you know, let's just go back to the 80s. I mean, a movie from the 1980s feels like a silent film compared to a film that's produced in 2022. When you consider the action and the pacing of a Avengers movie to even something like Star Wars, Star Wars feels like a student film compared to what movies are made like today. And that's a complete, you know, cave to this sort of short attention span that we, world that we live in. And so, you know, I want to sort of, in my humorous way, resist it because I do feel there's incredible value to those kinds of things. There's value to sitting through the credits and learning who are the masterminds behind the shows that you love and the actors and the 
key grips and the set designers who spent, you know, their genius and time putting together these kinds of things. But I worry about it, you know, and listen, as our one of our jobs as parents is, of course, to professionally worry about our children in the next generation. And I see my own children's attention spans. And like, you know, when I see the video scrolling across my children's, you know, brains, I sit there and I think, you know, they're never going to be have the tolerance for a two hour movie. My son sat down, he was sick, homesick a couple of weeks ago. And he watched a movie. And to me, it was like watching him like build a table. He had not <laughs> done that kind of thing in a long time, you know? And I was kind of proud of him. I was like, I'm proud of you, Jesse, for watching a movie. <laughs> you know, like if someone had told me that I could stay at home and watch a movie when I was nine years old, I would have been dancing in the streets. But to him, it was like work to actually labor through that much attention for that long. True. I uh, we recently took away the iPads from the the our little kids because I almost I got to a point where I was about to like throw them against the wall and like happily watch the glass shatter. They were just so addicted and they're young. I mean, I shouldn't even admit this. They're seven and nine. And so one day this summer, I was just like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm sending these to New York City without you." And whatever. And then I couldn't find them. So now they're back to watching TV shows together, which I love. And they have to like negotiate what show to watch. And they watch 26 minutes at a time. And I'm like, this is great. I feel like a good parent. Whereas before with my older kids, I was like, you can only watch TV like once a week and da-da-da, you know. I'm literally right there with you. My children are seven and nine. They're exactly in that spot. They will, I don't like the sort of idea of them sort of like, you know, hunkering off on their own to have their own entertainment, you know, like that. I mean, you see that even like, you know, people go away on their, you know, summer vacation and everybody's got their iPads out at night watching like five separate forms of entertainment. Whatever happened to like baking, you know, making the popcorn and like watching a bad movie together. Like we need to have those sort of like communal experiences. I mean, if we learned any anything from COVID. It is our sort of, you know, incredible desire for human interaction. The idea that we could be some sort of self-sustaining species is not true. You know, we do crave those kinds of things. And the reason why people are so excited to get back out there again and have those kinds of experiences to go see Top Gun is, is exactly that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So it's good. We've all, I do find it interesting though, that people have a, you know, really hard time sitting down to commit to a two hour movie. Yeah. But they will sit and like watch ten hours in a row of some show. Yeah, I mean, she, our older daughter is or fifteen. Yesterday, she's like, I watched six episodes of Riverdale, and I was like, what? You know, anyway, it's terrible. No, but don't you think that that part of that is a function of the way that shows are constructed, which they're almost constructed like, you know, the way that Dan Brown wrote his novels, which was like every, you know, like they're very brief chapters yeah. and they all ended with, and he turned the corner and you never believed what happened next. And like, yeah. of course you're moving. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the way that episodic TV is structured, it's making you move on to the next because you can't stand the idea of putting it down then. Yes. Yeah. It's true just like your essays. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's one more. You didn't get to read this one because I read on a little without you. I'm really sorry. Yes. But it's about aging, which was also really funny. All right. Um, I'll take it. Okay. Last couple things. Am I reading too much? I can stop if this is. Oh, no. No, please. Okay, this is the last one. Allow me to be the zillionth person to discover that to age is to be constantly reminded of aging. It is nothing less than a steady abandonment of youthful sensations replaced by a slow climb of infirm sensations, atrophy, and not infrequently, pain. I am lucky in this regard. I do not have acute pain. I know people who do, and it is merciless and grinding, the kind of wincing that alters behavior and actions and can overtake a life. I mercifully do not have this. When the conversation at the barbecue turns to the various states of back hell— discs, sciatica, stenosis, I am relieved to not make a knowing contribution. My back at the moment seems sturdy, and this feels like a miracle as I spend much of my day hunched over a computer like a squirrel. I sometimes debate buying one of those posture buzzers that wheeze out an air rate system whenever the wearer's shoulders hunch. It sounds terrifying, and I decide it is much calmer to just hunch. My pain is more mild, dull-shaped. It is the feeling of not living in a pristine body, but instead renting a rundown cottage in Maine with poison ivy in the front yard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I tried to write about aging on Instagram the other day when I was having like a similar moment. And uh, this is just like, I'm like, oh, look at how funny people can write about aging. Mine was like this sort of despair, like complete existential despair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, uh, th- this is, uh, again, sort of one of the most universal experiences. We all have it eventually, uh, hopefully some less severe than others. But the re- what provoked this, honestly, was, you know, I-, I play in this little tennis group and, you know, at the changeovers, you know, we would sit there, you know, there was a time when we'd talk about our lives, our careers, our children. But now all we do is talk about our various pains. It's like sort of like we do an inventory of the knees, the next changeover, we do an inventory of the shoulders and the ankles and the backs. And it's like everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a chiropractor. Everyone's got, you know, some take on uh, some new form of, you know, whether it's, you know, yoga or exercise in some fashion to solve things. But uh, what what also provoked this was uh, during COVID, I broke my fourth toe. This is a toe you don't even realize exists. It's the toe next to your pinky toe. It's kind of the Marsha of your toes. Like no one really pays any attention to this poor toe. But I got a stress fracture in it. And I don't know how it happened. I didn't kick anything. I didn't drop anything on my foot. But it laid me flat. I mean, it made me whimper. And it just was the most absurd, like, you know, 
mechanical breakdown of my body. And it really made me question my existence. And it really required me to stop doing anything, which is what, you know, a stress fracture, you kind of go to the doctor and they shrug and say like, well, you got a stress fracture. You know, what are you going to do? You can't really like cast it and like keep it, you know, unused because it's in your foot. Anyway, long story short, you know, I, I feel that this will be a continued topic throughout my life as I continue to atrophy and infirm, you know, so uh, I, there could be more of this to come. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I need, I think, uh, I mean, I know people talk about aging a lot, but finding all the humor in it is is really important because it can be very depressing and discouraging. It's like, you know, your body is like overtaken by, you know, terrible forces, like changing everything about you. And there's like nothing you can do except like try to cover it up if you choose or yeah, not. Yeah, sure. And, but also the other aspect of it is sometimes it's just good old fashioned luck. You know, we all know people who didn't really take care of themselves who for whatever reason, just are like in fantastic fit health. And then people who are constantly trying every new diet and exercise routine who are constantly struggling with, you know, body breakdown. So there's an element of roll the dice here, which I think is really maddening as well. So true. So are you doing, what's the plan? Cause I'm like, Oh, do you guys know Jason Gay? He writes sports, but I know I, you don't have to like sports. He writes about parenting. He writes about all this stuff, you know, like for some people, it's like, forget the sports part, even though that's your whole job. So, yeah. But I feel like even the sports part is you don't have to be a fan of sports. That's to true. Appreciate. No, that's true. The article. Like I always think about it and I always think, wow, if someone didn't like sports, they would find this article about sports really entertaining. That's true. Yeah. So talk about you know your sports passion, sure. your career, what you're going to write about, essays versus sure and all that. Yeah, I mean, listen. I, well, first of all, I appreciate all those kind words, and you're exactly describing what I'm aiming for, which is to try to write general interest columns about things that are happening in the world of sports that they have appeal to people who might not be closely following into it. I, you know, it sort of, it began with this environment that I'm in. I write for the wall street journal, you know, not known as America's like leading sports publication, right? Not known as a place where humor is the, uh, you know, principal way of delivering information. So I was already an oddball to begin with, but to me, I felt this enormous advantage because I didn't have to do the sort of hardcore sports stuff that you might have to do, say, if you're at, you know, the Daily News or ESPN or someplace where you have serious sports fans paying attention. So it allowed me to like experiment a little bit, reach an audience of people who, again, are reading the paper because they have much more important things going on. And this is just kind of a little piece of dessert that they can have uh, later in their read of the paper. And it is the number one thing that I hear from people that they, you know, aren't a big fan of whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever the sport du jour is, but they read this because it amuses them because they might learn something. I always try to keep in mind the idea that, you know, somebody coming to a sports story doesn't always have all the information, certainly that I do, or even the regular everyday sports fan does. I mean, if you spend any time nowadays watching ESPN or sort of hardcore sports radio, it's, it's a, the intensity of knowledge now is staggering. I mean, the amount of information that's accessible to the regular sports fan at home now via computer and analytics and beyond is incredible. So it almost sounds like people are speaking a foreign language. If you're coming to this 
not knowing much about basketball and listening to a basketball podcast, you're like, these people are speaking French. I don't get any of this. Like, what's going on? So I try to keep in mind the fact that there is still a substantial population of casual fans, people who might tune into the Super Bowl second half to watch the halftime show and the commercials and people who watch, you know, one tennis event of the year. It's the Wimbledon final or they watch the Olympics. But they have kids who play sports. They play sports occasionally themselves. There are all kinds of ways that sports can enter individual lives that aren't necessarily about the X's and the O's and the betting lines and all that kind of stuff. And I, I want to grab those folks. Very smart. Yeah, that's amazing. So what's your career plan going forward? Where are you headed? What, I'm just you running out the clock here, Zibby. You know, I'm just going to like, you know. <laughs> Hang on as as hard as I can. I mean, listen, you know, the funny part about being in the newspaper business is that, you know, I've now been at this for, you know, more than 25 years. And at no point did anyone ever pull me aside and said, hey, man, newspaper business, that's where it's at, right? It's been <laughs> a constant siege, you know, it's been since the day I began in it, a, 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 a profession that has been categorized as endangered or on the verge of destruction. And certainly there has been a lot of carnage in newspaper. You know, we've lost a lot of tremendous publications and so on. It's not a career that when kids come home and tell their parents they want to become a newspaper reporter, the parents shake their hands and say, that's great. I was hoping you were going to be a newspaper reporter and not a neurosurgeon or a, you know, a private equity guy. You know, like, I, I'm thrilled you're going to risk it all. <laughs> But I just believe very much in it. And I, 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 I still believe that, you know, good writing and stories well told and reported and truth to power means something. And there still is a lot of consequential stuff happening. And I, this is a long way of saying that, you know, there isn't a part of me that wants to try something radically different. You know, there are kinds of writing that I'd like to, you know, try a little bit more of. And I'd love to continue writing books. That's been a really uh, validating experience. I mean, it's been interesting to sort of say, meet people who say like, oh, I read your book. I found it interesting. Do you write anywhere else? I'm like, yeah, four times a week at this other page. You know, like I'm, I'm writing all the time, man. But there is a different audience you can reach through books. And I'm thrilled about that. But I do like the fact that, you know, I, if I have a thought about something I care about, I can kind of unload it in this paper. And and uh, I'm very grateful to be at a place where, you know, as we all know, the journal has this incredibly august reputation for financial reporting. And I sort of like get to like ride in the back of the jet ski, you know, on this incredible paper with all these talented people. So I'm not, I, I sound like I'm joking, but I, you know, I would sign a lifetime deal. Like I, I, I found the thing that I want to do. Amazing. Love it. Well, Thank you so much for all of your entertainment. I will buy anything you write, read everything. We're, you know, it's just so great. So thank you for delighting us. I appreciate both of you. And I appreciate your support from again, day one. And, and, you know, when I was this little random person, I'm still little and random, but uh, (laughs) even more little and random person out there, uh, just trying to find my way. And, well, let's get some pickleball going. All right. Let's we'll, do it. Absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll make Kyle play. What are you righty or lefty? Uh, righty. Okay. So we'll make you play lefty, you know, <laughs> we'll do it. The rest of us, we'll, we'll play. Perfect. That'd be really fun. That would. Okay. All right. Have, Have a great, great day. day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. A couple of years ago, right before the pandemic arrived and the world changed, I took my son, Jesse, to the Daytona 500. I had no idea the planet was about to shut down. But in retrospect, it was a pretty rowdy way to say farewell to civilization. Jesse was in. 
I don't even think I got to the second syllable of Daytona. He was six years old and obsessed with Hot Wheels, Camaro fumes, and monster trucks. He'd watched cars a thousand times, to the point he grew mildly disappointed when the Impala in traffic next to us wasn't anthropomorphically chatting to us through its front bumper. Stock car racing is not for everyone. Four-plus hours of Chevys, Fords, and Toyotas making left-hand turns is not a big topic of conversation among the flabby New York City dads I know who bicker about pavement records and drink overrated $6 pour-over-ice coffees. But for Jesse, book it. I figured the trip wouldn't be a big hassle. A quick flight from New York City to Orlando, short drive from Orlando to Daytona Beach, and then we'd drive around for seven or eight hours looking for parking. Easy peasy. What I didn't count on was what it meant to fly to Orlando. The moment we stepped on the plane, Jesse saw them. Kids dressed in Disney gear, clutching Mickeys and Minis and doe-eyed princesses of every hairstyle and rank. These kids were not going to the Daytona 500. They were not impressed by a small block 358 CIV8. They were off to the Magic Kingdom, or Animal Kingdom, or Epcot, or Blizzard Beach Water Park, and probably all the above, and I realized that I was going to be spending this trip playing Disney defense against the child who had never been. The arrival at the airport was much worse. Orlando International Airport is basically a portal into the inner ear of Mickey Mouse. From the moment of disembarkation, there is an assault of Disney consumerism, colorful posters advertising new rides and features, kiosks arranging transit and VIP tours, a sprawling gift shop stocked not with the usual assortment of polyblend hoodies and beanbag unicorns, but with stack shelves of Dizbiz merchandise. Basically, the airport is the Disney welcome drink, and as Jesse and I moved through it, I wish I'd brought him a pair of eye blinders like the ones they put on carriage horses. Are we ever going to go to Disney World, Jesse asked. Not demandingly, but plaintively, as if you were asking if we'd ever see a loggerhead turtle in the wild. This is a delicate question for a parent to answer when they are standing in the kitchen 800 miles from Florida. There's no satisfying way to answer it when standing in the middle of Orlando International Airport, when there are shuttle buses outside the door ready to take you, when the entire momentum of the facility is designed to deposit you at the doorstep of Walt Xanadu within 15 or so minutes. No response is sufficient. You can't give your kid a lame excuse about the timing or the season or your inability to find plane tickets. You are literally here. So the only humane thing you could do is to escape, to grab your child by the hand and march them wordlessly to the rental car counter where families waiting in line are, damn it, already in mouse ears. But Jesse didn't toss a fit. I was grateful. He was too focused on Daytona, and he seemed to buy my limp suggestion of a Disney rain check. We got on the road to the Speedway, and once we got clear of the greater Mickeyopolis, we had a lengthy conversation about the respective driving talents of NASCAR heroes like Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, and Martin Truex Jr. All right, fine, that's not true. We didn't know a thing. I had managed to negotiate my way into middle age in a sports columnist job with barely a passing knowledge of anything to do with one of America's greatest spectator sports. If you are embarrassed by this admission, imagine how I feel. It's embarrassing for a person paid to write about sports to not know the difference between Bristol and Talladega or have the first idea what happens when a car rolls into pit road. They, they pump up the tires? I don't know. I was the worst sort of urbane caricature. 
I too am a flabby dad with opinions about pavement records and overrated $6 pour over iced coffee. I'd fake my way through a few interviews with NASCAR talent by asking basic questions. Uh, how's your parallel parking? I didn't know anything, and it was a little mortifying and probably professionally disqualifying. I admit it. Mea culpa. Now, please don't ask me about hockey. Jesse was my vessel here. You know, he might have thought he was my Mary plus one, but he was going to be daddy's portal into the whole Daytona experience. I could write about what it was like to be here, eyes of the child, the whole bit. I could cover Daytona without actually covering Daytona. I could cover it as a dad. Ah, barf. Done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.